This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. Are you drinking up? First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. My safe word is keep going. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Positivity Wolfie T. What's up? Also known as Brett. Also has his own podcast. That's right. Positively Wolfie Podcast. Yeah. Available on all platforms. We're up to uh, 11 episodes as of right now. So bingeable. It's bingeable. That's the important thing. Are you on Amazon Music? I can't remember if I signed up for that or not. I know I got a couple emails from them about signing up. Yeah, I did too, but I don't know, like the, I guess the thumbnail art for the email looked a little like not Amazon. So I was like, well, <laughs> I don't know if I want to put in my information to this. You know, I don't really give a shit about Amazon music. I mean, maybe in the future I'll, maybe I'll go to Amazon's website and then submit it myself, but I'm not going to answer one of those emails. But anywho, the horror extravaganza is upon us. Starting out with a light horror movie today. It's more of just a, a thriller, but... A thriller. There's uh, some horror uh, elements in there, I think, so... Mm -hmm. I think it qualifies. We are talking about Wait Until Dark. I mean, do you remember a couple of years ago, everybody was going nuts about that movie Hush, about the yeah. deaf woman? Yeah, I liked Hush quite a bit. This is like the same thing, only she's blind. Yeah, and it being 67, obviously, it's a little, I guess, less intense. <laughs> <laughs> or even the hush, you know, he's just stalking her the whole time, trying to kill her. Well, this, <laughs> in Wait Until Dark, there's three men putting on a ruse for a, bl for a blind woman <laughs> playing roles. <laughs> I, I did notice this time it's based on a play. So that's part of the reason why it's the way it is. But it's definitely more of a uh, strategic uh, attempt by the villains versus just like straight up terrorizing her. Yeah, it definitely felt like a play. You know, the one scene or the one setting film. Yep. Though there's that opening scene at the airport. But that's true. And I guess there is a couple other random scenes other like when he uh wrote runs over let's learn with the car that was in like a parking lot i'm not sure how far away it was but it was down the block well even the opening scene before they get to the airport is in somebody's apartment or hotel or whatever yeah uh so but the vast majority is in a single apartment in new york because everything's in new york all right, let's get to the details. Wait Until Dark from 1967, directed by Terrence Young, who you would know as the director of Dr. No, Thunderball, and From Russia With Love. There you go. Your favorite Bond movies right there. 
I didn't even know that. And uh, <laughs> there's the tie-in. We just yeah. talked about him too with Thunderball. Yeah. Guy Hamilton did Goldfinger. So you have to look out for that guy. I think it was Guy Hamilton. I just want to make sure quick. <laughs> well, Goldfinger was actually pretty good. Yeah. So I wanted you to distinguish the uh, good directors from the bad directors or your favorite Bond directors. Yeah, Guy Hamilton did it. So Terrence Young directed a handful of mediocre Bond movies and then uh, had a good one with uh, Wait Until Dark. Yeah, because Guy Hamilton also did Live and Let Die, which he also liked, but, you know, it's not like you were obsessed with it. He did The Man with the Golden Gun, which is uh, not great, but really fun. And Diamonds Are Forever, which is horrible, but fun in a campy way. So, yeah, he definitely directs the fun Bond movies. <laughs> All right. Uh, back to Wait Until Dark. Let's get to the cast list here. Starring Audrey Hepburn taking the rightful spot of a blind actress in Wait Until Dark. <laughs> <laughs> she is the world's champion blind lady. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, Alan Arkin. Is, um, to go over the character names, uh, Audrey Hepburn plays Susie Hendricks. Alan Arkin plays Rote, Rote Jr. and Rote Sr. Richard Crenna is Mike Talman. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. is Sam Hendricks. Jack Weston plays Carlino. Samantha Jones is Lisa. And Julie Harrod, or Herod is Gloria. It's basically the main cast there. Synopsis. A recently blinded woman is terrorized by a trio of thugs while they search for a heroin-stuffed doll they believe is in her apartment. So, yeah, you want to talk about the opening scene then? Yeah, so it opens up with uh, Lisa in uh, the apartment of an older man as he's opening up a, like a, a, a doll I don't know, like a baby doll, like a child's toy. Yeah, it opens with like an ASMR shot, that slow <laughs> cutting into the doll. <laughs> and he stuffs it with... There's little... a bunch of weirdos online that are having a little too much fun with that scene, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so he stuffs it with little baggies of heroin. And Lisa makes a good remark. She says, uh, they should make heroin look like something else. Candy bars, maybe, because, you know, I guess that's a thing you say. <laughs> I don't want to get off on too big of a tangent, but I think it's worth noting. Uh, wasn't it? I think it was up by St. Cloud or Duluth. There was this guy who had a weird fetish for cutting balls, like rubber balls open. And he was breaking into gyms and like cutting up all the medicine balls. And I think he was like maybe even having sex with it or something like that. I don't remember hearing about that. <laughs> Yeah, there was some weirdo that was doing that. <laughs> Do you know how long ago that was? Uh, several years ago. Sounds like something we talk about on Positively Wolf podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can rest easy. He was, he was apprehended. <laughs> Although I'm sure he, he didn't go to jail too long for cutting open a bunch of rubber balls. Oh, man. Just go to the rubber ball factory. Yeah, it was like the exercise balls, the big ones he was popping. 
the medicine balls might be a little hard. <laughs> they get a little more resistance. To them. <laughs> Maybe he just hangs around that ball pit at Walmart. <laughs> you know, the, the big cage of balls that nobody ever buys. <laughs> you dive in head first in the Burger King ball pit. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I hope those are all closed now. We could blame COVID, but we all know that was not sanitary. Yeah, definitely. Well, you're just building a healthy immune system for those kids. <laughs> I mean, we saw Jingle All the Way. We know how it goes. This is my ball. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so anyways, they, they stitch up the doll with all the heroin it, in it, and uh, Lisa takes it. She takes it to the airport. They're in Canada somewhere. I don't know, Montreal maybe. I forget. Yeah. Uh, and she flies into Kennedy Airport in New York. And she sees that she's been spotted. So she gives the doll to a stranger to hold on for to hold on to it for her. And she's taken away. Or I don't know if she's taken away. I can't remember. But we cut to an apartment and there's two guys who believe they're at Lisa's place. There's a note on the door from Lisa saying, come on in if I'm not home and make yourself comfortable. And Which we will, of course, surmise later that was placed there by rote. I believe so. I think that's uh, safe to say. Unless there's another third, fourth party that we're unaware of. <laughs> it could have been Lisa, but we find out that Lisa <laughs> didn't make it out of the apartment. So, And she doesn't live there and she's not fucking Sam. So... <laughs> As far as we know. Yep. We find out that Sam is the guy that got the doll at the airport. Mm -hmm. um, so after they go in, I wrote down in my notes, Fatty helps himself to all the food. Because there's, <laughs> there's one, it's Richard Crenna and uh, who's the guy that played Carlino? Um, that Ephraim guy? No, Jack Weston. Oh, Jack Weston, yeah. And Jack Weston is a portly fellow. And he, he goes is. in the, he immediately goes in the refrigerator and starts pulling out uh, just cold cuts and cheese and bread and starts making himself just all the sandwiches. And, and he, uh, he fills the role of uh, the brainless muscle trope that you've talked about in the past with of Mice and Men and everything that came after it. He's kind of like the Lenny. And he may or may not be a police officer. It's hard to tell. <laughs> Maybe a yeah. former former police officer or a pretend police officer. Um, but yeah, so they uh, they kind of make themselves at home. Meanwhile, Richard Crenna's character is kind of looking around and he sees a typewriter with a list on it. And he says, since when does Lisa type? Never. So they kind of realize this isn't Lisa's apartment. And we need to be a little more careful with what we're doing and not just make sandwiches on the couch after touching everything. And this is when uh, Harry Rote Jr. from Scarsdale shows up. That's <laughs> Ellen Arkin's character. Says he's from Scarsdale. Scarsdale. I'm from Scarsdale. <laughs> I like that young Arkin voice. I'm from Scarsdale. He's uh. What do you call that look he has? He's a uh, 
like a beatnik. Yeah. He's got that haircut and the glasses. He always mm-hmm. wears sunglasses no matter what time of day. A look inspired by the British invasion, I think, in the 60s. And he's got a full head of hair, full head of black hair. Mm-hmm. Got that bowl cut. Yeah. The round yeah, sunglasses. Very Beatles-ish. Yep. And so he kind of gives them the lowdown. Uh, he says uh, Lisa will pay them $2,000 cash or $2,000 each to find the doll. And that uh, Hendrix has a doll and it must be somewhere in the apartment. And so they start looking around. They think it might be in a safe that's kind of off to the side. Uh, they start looking through closets and stuff and they find Lisa hanging in a garment bag. That they do. And that kind of leads up to our first clip here. Yeah, so I'll just play that, I guess. Mm, well, she was trespassing my poaching, going into business for herself. Bad news. Things like that go on way you have. Anarchy. No discipline, no sense of order. Bad news. Out. Haven't you forgotten something? We just earned the money. I mean, fingerprints. You just signed your names all over this place. If you could remember everything you touched, it would still take hours to wipe them up, wouldn't it? If not days. As for me, well, I've only touched one thing since I've been in here. And now it's clean. Like me. No police record. No known associations with Lisa. Nothing, in fact. I can let you go, and what would happen? I'd just evaporate with you, old bad news. Oh, don't forget this, Sarge. And the icebox, don't forget the icebox. Cardio, knock it off! We can prove where we were when this happened. Oh, and when did it happen? Just before you let me in? So, so, if you do exactly what I tell you, there'll be no police, There'll be no problems. Go on. First, get her out of here. Roll her up in this. I got a van by the corner. I'll bring it out front. One at the back where there's less publicity. There's no back door. We'll dump her where I found this. Give me a hand. She'll be found. Oh, I hope so. All she's got on her is a hotel key. When they check, they'll see she's Mrs. Harry Rowe Jr. From Scarsdale. Right. This changes things a little, you know. That's what I figured. We'll talk about it later. Well, we'll talk about it now. It was 2000 each. Now it's four. $4,000? They got to dispose of a body. I like how he says, I, I have no connection to Lisa. And then immediately says, well, they're just going to find out that she's Mrs. Harry Rote Jr. Like, aren't you Harry Rote Jr.? Yeah, like, wait, why do you want her to, why do you want them to find out that that's her name? <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out tell, later. Like, it's... Why do you want to implicate yourself? 
there's foreshadowing throughout this first uh i don't know maybe half or two-thirds of the movie and that's one of them you kind of find out later why he wants them to find her and uh connect her to uh harry wrote jr but as of now it's a mystery they got a body to take care of roll her up and throw her out <laughs> there's no back door they have to go out the front door which is going to be tricky because there's a little kid snooping around the whole movie. Yeah, and even before they get out the door with Lisa, uh, Mrs. Susie Hendricks comes home. Why don't they lock their door? <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> another good question. But uh, so everybody freezes, and it, it turns out it's okay because she's blind, and they're able to avoid her. Uh, and avoid making contact although she's certain somebody's in there yeah she thinks later she smelled the cigarettes i thought it was funny that she thought gloria was smoking the cigarettes <laughs> she was sneaking cigarettes that smelled smoke in here <laughs> so gloria is like a 12 year old girl that lives upstairs and helps uh susie with her groceries and things like that and they have a, a very odd relationship i would say it's very strained they, well gloria is kind of a little bitch well there's a lot of animosity <laughs> there and i think it's partly because gloria's parents don't give her attention yeah deadbeat parents because the mom uh, is going on benders on the weekends basically uptown having fun yeah and then what the dad is away or is he dead i think the dad's just out of the picture he probably just abandoned them okay but so yeah, she thinks it's Gloria. She kind of goes around the apartment herself. She gets a scarf out of the closet, but doesn't notice that there's a dead body hanging on the door. Or the door is really heavy to open and close. <laughs> or that it was a jar. <laughs> like things just... Well, she does say later that uh, she thought that Gloria had moved stuff around on her mm -hmm. just to make her you know, trip and uh, just make life harder because she's blind obviously but they managed to get the uh get the lisa's body out of there and later uh susie hears about the body being found just down the street on the radio where they announced that mrs lisa wrote has been found murdered in the neighborhood and that freaks her out lisa wrote june mrs lisa wrote <laughs> Wait, what's uh? Is it Harry? What, what's yeah. Rhodes' first name? Mrs. Harry Rote Jr. Yeah. <laughs> when did that stop being a thing? When did they stop calling women by their husband's name? I don't know. When they stopped putting it on checks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but let's see. Boy, this is where we meet uh, Susie's husband, Sam, Mr. Hendricks, and. So this is after Carlino makes the like biggest sandwich. <laughs> she's gonna make that sandwich you made. It's like Jesus. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was talking about when he, uh, he and um, Tolman, who is Richard Crenna's character, that was before Harry wrote Junior yeah. from Scarsdale came in. It was getting all the cold. Why did they have so many cold cuts and cheese? Like it was quite the variety, <laughs> and he's just stacking them. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, I guess, to the part where uh, 
Susie's husband comes home. Yep. Okay. And he doesn't know where the doll is. Um, I forget how it came up, but uh, Susie was asking him about the doll uh, that he brought home from the airport. And so he was uh, talking about the least this woman he met at the airport. Oh, that's right. That's how it came up, I think, because yeah, Lisa wrote was the woman that he met at the airport. And that's how the connection was made with the radio announcement of her death. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, I don't know where the doll is. Have Gloria look for it. Cause he doesn't know what's in the doll. Yeah. You know, he just thinks it's a doll and he doesn't play much of a role throughout the whole movie, but I guess he's Take somewhat pictures. important. He's somewhat important. <laughs> he's a, prov- yep. They have that uh, dark room and they even have like kind of like a dark apartment because they have those cool window shutters that with that crank. Yeah. So they have shutters and then they have like extra set of shutters that lowers down and up with that crank. <laughs> it's even more foreshadowing that they have a dark room in their apartment. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that'll come back to play later in the, later in the movie, along with Sam telling Susie to defrost the refrigerator or the freezer that leads us to our next clip you can find it by yourself if you couldn't i tell you what have you got against gloria a lot the main problem is that she's in love with you which makes me the villain of the feast susie she's a kid more to your left in front of you i'd rather have the dog Dogs can't shop at the supermarket. No, and they can't rearrange the furniture either so that I trip over it. That's her latest hobby. I nearly broke my leg last night. And she's been sneaking cigarettes, too. I smelled smoke when I came in here yesterday. Susie, give her a chance. Father's run off again, her mother's flitted out for a weekend of fun and games uptown. Poor old Gloria gets slammed around like a ping-pong ball. On top of that, she's wearing glasses for the first time. Some of the kids are giving her the treatment. Calling her the monster from outer space or something. Icebox needs defrosting, darling. Only my way this time. More practical. Use plenty of boiling water. What if I burn both my hands off your way? Don't. The uncontained's in the emergency drawer. If the weather's okay, try walking over to the studio and back. No cheating. Do I have to be the world's champion blind lady? Yes. Whatever you want me to be. Just tell me what you want, and then that's what I'll be. Susie. Oh, I mean it. Shh. I don't want you ever to be anything but Susie. Because that's the way I love you. Do you? Do you? What do you think? That's why she's asking you. <laughs> what do you think? Do you? Do you? Yes. <laughs> He's so angry about it. It's yeah. one of my favorite lines. Do I have to be the world's champion blind lady? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, so he, there's more foreshadowing. Like I said, a lot of foreshadowing here. That's going to come back into play. The, the freezer needing to be defrosted, which involves her having to unplug it and she doesn't know where the plug is and well she'll have to find out later because it's going to be important 
What's a little confusing to me is this is all taking place on the same day, right? Pretty. And I she, think this is the next morning. Yeah, because Susie says, you know, I smelled smoke in here yesterday. Yeah. And I thought it was just that morning that, you know, she smelled Alan Arkin's cigarette smoke. That's what it was. But I, th I think this is the next day because it, you know, they went and dumped the body and then, you know, the next morning they found it and it was on the radio news. That's right. So, but I think the rest of it is all the same day. Yep. Cause they send Sam off to some, uh, He's got to go to Asbury Park, I think, to shoot a, uh, to do a photo shoot for a model, which turns out to be a, a sham, a fake set up by Mr. Harry Rote Jr. from Scarsdale. From Scarsdale. <laughs> and uh, I forget how it happens. The ashtray starts on fire. I, I don't remember how that happened, to be honest. Did Sam put something in there or was it one of the one of the goons um no i can't remember because she frantically starts calling the the fire department and this is where the ruse starts up with uh tallman or mike tallman who just happens to pop in and uh pretend to be sam's old friend from the marines and he oh, sure. saves the he saves the day, puts the fire out, and uh, we get a, a little backstory on Susie. She met Sam after the car crash that took her sight, which was a year ago. Mm -hmm. So they've been married for less than a year. And then uh, here comes Gloria with her glasses. What do they? What did he say they call her? They give her to her the business or whatever. The monster <laughs> the mon from outer space <laughs> or something. Yeah. They're giving her the treatment. Yeah. <laughs> see that was what they called it before they called it bullying yeah they called it the treatment you <laughs> uh, just had to deal with it um, well gloria's been giving Susie the treatment sometimes especially in a little bit when she's in there and she gets all pissy and starts throwing the dishes and everything all over the floor oh yeah like fucking bitch what is Susie calls her like a little monster or something, and then she flips out, and then they have this heart to heart about you know yeah. I'm sorry you shouldn't call me names, you know I only threw things that couldn't break, so I guess she's she's a bitch, but well, she's she a throat knife. So, oh, careful! There's a knife there. <laughs> <laughs> she's considerate about it. <laughs> so Gloria, you know, she leaves with the the grocery list. I think she got a uh, little bit of a, a a glimpse at Mike, but I think they were just in pa in passing. I think he was on his way out, and she was on her way in, and he left something behind. Either the old George Costanza, he left the box behind so he could come back and get a second uh, trip into the apartment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Costanza. <laughs> But anyways, uh, let's see. yeah, I think Gloria uh, leaves, and then Rote comes in dressed like an old man, and he's acting a fool because he he wants to get at this Sam fella who was allegedly boinking his daughter-in-law. 
Yeah, he comes in in a huff. That uh, leads to our next clip. Put all this away so I know where to find it. Right, see you later. Yeah. Bye. I should very much like to speak with Mr. Sam Hunt, little girl. Who's he? Well, he doesn't live here. Leave, little girl. Susie! Susie! Leave, little girl. Go about your business. You'd like to see Mr. Sam Hunt, and you will please tell Mrs. Rose that I should also like to see her. Where are they? Well, who are you? It's I not right, you know, well, and it's not want? fair. Well, tell me who you are. What is, what is it you want? What are you doing? You can't go in there. Tell me who you are. Ah, here. I was right, you silly thing, and now I've got well, the proof. You tell Simon to leave her alone or I'll fix him. Good and proper. <laughs> Go about your business, little girl. <laughs> I like how he's got disguises yeah. for each of his characters. I guess that's so if anybody with sight sees him. It's not for Susie. But yeah, he takes a, I think he takes a photo off their uh, bedroom dresser. I think that's what it is. Like their uh, wedding photo. Yep. And luckily, this is when Mike comes back for his package. Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he offers to call the police. But this is where we see the another uh, deception because he calls the phone booth across the street. Mm-hmm. And uh, he calls his boy Carlino, who shows up, and it, he starts wiping down the apartment. Yeah, I don't know why they're still doing that. If the, <laughs> if the body's gone, so. Well, I don't know. I guess still yeah. you want to be careful. But they, uh, they signal for Rote to call. And I thought this was weird because uh, Rote calls Susie's apartment to talk to Carlino. Like, how would he know Carlino was there? I guess he was supposedly at the police station. And they might have known that Carlino was at Susie's place, but... Yeah, I forget if he left a number when he called the cops. That was a... Or wrote. Um, yeah. That was a uh, questionable uh, tactic, I believe. But Carlino, he starts interrogating Susie, and he's pretty mean about it. That Carlino. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike's playing the, uh, he's playing his role well, the nice friend that she can confide in. He's probably the most believable. Like Carlino, you know. What a jerk that Carlino is. What are you asking her that for? You know, kind of defending yeah. her. Right. But after Carlino leaves, like Susie's like, why was he dusting everything? You know, like he's not very discreet. Yeah. <laughs> Looking for Prince. Then we get Rote Jr. coming in. He's got a new disguise, but he's still got the same squeaky shoes. Like her hearing is pretty good. Mm-hmm. They got the same fucking squeaky shoes. Must run in the family. <laughs> so Harry Sr.'s son. 
So this is he's, middle rote, right? Well, he's Harry Jr., mm-hmm. but not the real Harry Jr. I don't know. Like, is his name really rote? I assume his name is not really rote. Yeah. Because why would he use that as character names if that's not his, you know, if that's his real name? If that is your real name. <laughs> so I think we're getting close to the part where Susie starts telling Mike about the doll. Because that's after the cop leaves. And not sure what would happen directly before that. Other than some coordination between the, the three fakers. Right. So Gloria comes back with the groceries. She kind of gets a, a look at some of the guys. They start talking about, so I think between the three, uh, Mike and Rote and Susie, they talk about how Mrs. Rote might have been involved with Sam Hunt, who may be Sam Hendricks. Don't know. I forget if it shows her find the doll and put it underneath the couch. I think that happens a little bit later. Yeah, that happens a little bit later. But yeah, Mike signals for Carlino to call, but then he calls and asks for Rote. I think this was even more confusing than the last call. Because <laughs> why would you know that Rote is at Susie's apartment? Rote Jr. Yeah, I don't know. That's fishy. But he, I think they tell him, you know, they say, oh, your dad's at the police station. Come get him. Um, And then this is where Susie starts explaining the situation to Mike and she's unsure of whether Sam's involved more than just having the doll more than what he said he was. Mm -hmm. Did he kill Mrs. Rote? Was she involved with her? What's going on? I mean, he's already been shown to be a huge jerk by saying, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not telling you how to get to that. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty funny, too. (laughs) Dog can't get groceries. (laughs) You don't need my help. I'd give you my help if you needed it. All right, it's a little to the left in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, what's your next clip? Uh, I have Susie explaining uh, the doll situation. Yeah, so that's where we're at right now. Okay. Mrs. Rhoda is dead. She was murdered last night near here. What did you say? And the police think Sam did it. Sam? Yes, the doll. The doll. The one Mr. Rhoda Jr. described. Sam brought a doll exactly like that back from Canada. I was trying to help him unpack from the trip. And something fell on the floor. The something played a little tune in it head. The something was a doll. Mrs. Rhodes, special maid, handmade, made in Canada doll. Sam had it. I, I thought it was a surprise for me, but it wasn't. It, it was for a little girl in the hospital. A woman at the airport asked Sam to carry it for her so that her other little girl who was meeting her wouldn't see it and get jealous. The woman called yesterday about coming to get the doll and Sam couldn't find it. Sam never met the doll lady in his life before, never laid eyes on her before. He told me so. Don't do this to yourself, Susie. And then there was the woman he was supposed to photograph yesterday. Sam said she didn't show up. But he was away an awful long time waiting for her. And her name was Luciana. And so is Mrs. Rhodes. Well, suppose he did know her. It's not so serious. Oh, but it is. All right, then. Let's say that it's serious. 
Let's try to figure this all out from the beginning. First, the old man came in here screaming about Sam and Mrs. Rowe. He went into your bedroom and tore it apart. Messed up your dresser. Now, why did he do that? He must have taken something, Susie. He just must have. Come here. Look. Check. Feel around. See if anything's missing. Salmon meat. Do you see it anywhere? No. Well, that's the meanest thing I ever heard of. I'm gonna call the police. No. No, Mike, we can't. We mustn't say anything to the police. Not anything. They've got to forget all about us, Mike. They think Sam did it. Please. So, I mean, you've talked a little bit about some of the slight inconsistencies of maybe something's a little too far-fetched with people calling the house, people knowing they're there. I mean, I think the elephant in the room is this needlessly elaborate ruse that they're putting on this blind woman to get this stupid doll. Like, just walk in there, slap her around, and grab the doll and leave. <laughs> so that we don't have a two-hour story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess they don't want... You know, they're not they're not killers. I guess Rhoda is a killer. <laughs> yes. I don't know why Rhoda just doesn't do it. <laughs> he doesn't I mean, I don't think he was even necessarily planning on paying those guys anyways. Right. Um, I mean, I know he gave him the advance, but he can just take it back after he kills him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess they're I don't know, they're just trying to finesse it, keep it clean. I don't know. I think it's because Roach just had all those disguises because he likes to act. <laughs> he is a beatnik. <laughs> he just wanted an excuse to put on a ruse. He's a hippie. Hit the jackpot when he found out <laughs> Susie was blind. This is going to be great. <laughs> we could play multiple characters. Well, I guess it almost sounded early when they first kind of met that it sounded like Mike and Carlino kind of run the scam pretty frequently it's just weird that they're doing it for a blind woman yeah but i don't know maybe they're taking shortcuts because of that like mike tells Susie that he looked outside and uh, the police are watching the apartment but Susie lets him know that she she noticed that wrote senior and junior had the same shoes and that she noticed that like carlino was messing with the blinds you know, because he was signaling for Rote to call and vice versa. And so, like, she's picking up on these things that they kind of half-assed, presumably because she's blind. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Mike leaves. And this is where we find out that Gloria has the doll. Because she kind of sneaks back in the apartment and hides it under the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of where Gloria and Susie start working together because she says, you know, look outside to see if there's a police car out there. And this is where she kind of blows everybody's cover because there's just that van that they've been camping out in outside the phone booth. Yep, and that's our next clip. There's a police car out there. Can you see the face of the man inside of it? There's no police car. 
Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. There's no car out there. Well, yes, there is. A kind of squatting truck, right by the phone booth. Phone booth? Is there anyone inside the truck? Well, there's a man standing near it. Well, is it Mr. Rote, the man who was here when you brought the groceries? I don't think so. Susie, he's coming this way. Watch out, he's looking through the window. Can he see you? No, but he's still looking. He's going. He's go You had it. I was only borrowing. No, you quickly got to hide it. Where is it? Give it to me. Under your feet. I was only borrowing it. Really? That's why I brought it back. Where are we going to put it? We're going to find a place to put it. In the washing machine. Come help me. Yeah, so they hide it in the washing machine. It's as good as place as any. Yeah, but. that was uh, that was definitely a washing machine from the '60s. <laughs> but yeah, so they hide it there, and they uh, they hatch a scheme for Gloria to go upstairs and spy on the phone booth, and she's gonna knock on the pipe in the corner. Let's see, no, was she gonna knock on the pipe on the corner if somebody's showing up to, at the door? gets out of the van i forget yeah i forget that too but but if somebody called from the phone booth after they come out she was going to call Susie and let it ring twice mm-hmm. to let her know that somebody's calling from the phone booth and so this is kind of how the whole plan unravels because they start figuring out that carlino and mike and all of them are are all calling from the phone booth and coming in from the van Gloria almost gets caught by Carlino uh, before she can get upstairs, though. Luckily, (laughs) Susie is able to get him to go look at the back window of the apartment uh, under the ruse that somebody, she heard somebody breaking something back there. And Carlino is dumb enough to go back and actually (laughs) like look. And he's back there for a long time, too. And he's like, I don't see anything. What's good? This lady's crazy. (laughs) <laughs> it's like you know you're not actually a cop right like you, <laughs> you don't have to actually do that yeah um i was wondering if she was trying to protect gloria by saying that she kind of found out because you've already been in the dark room you know when mike when she when mike knows that she she knows and he's like you know how long have you known she says um you know well you've been in the dark room before mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was her way of, because she, she knew before, but she didn't want, I think, Gloria involved or not her, like them knowing that Gloria's involved. Right. So that was pretty clever on her part. Yeah, they, they kind of pass Gloria a few times. Like, I think all three of them actually do it, but they don't really think anything of it. Yeah. And uh, they don't realize that they're smart enough to put these things together. Let's see. Yeah, when Carlino comes back, he blows the cover. And <laughs> Susie knows they're fake because of the scheme that he, her and Gloria had put together as far as the, the phone booth goes. 
because she knows that somebody's calling from the phone booth and he's saying that it's like the police station or something like that. Yeah. And so she knows she's kind of fucked, but Mike comes back just in time before Susie can call the police. And so Susie tries to put the swerve on them and says, Sam called and said, it's at his studio. It's down the block, you know, go ahead and go up in the studio and, and it's in his drawer or whatever of his desk, which is, is not, we know it's not. It's a non-existent desk. <laughs> Doesn't even have a desk. Poor Sam. <laughs> All right. So yeah. That leads us to our next clip, I believe. How long have you known? You've been to the studio, Mike. That's right. And there was no doll. More fun still. There wasn't even a desk. Poor Sam. You really ought to have a desk. But then you don't know my friend Sam and about him needing a desk. Mrs. Hendricks. Susie. We're not strangers. All right, Susie, game time's over. I want the doll. No. I'm afraid you don't have any choice. I do. I do have a choice. No, you don't. Damn it, you act as if you're in kindergarten. This is the big bad world full of mean people where nasty things happen. Now you tell me. Look, Susie. You listen to me and you listen to me good. I'm through playing around. You give me that doll and you give it to me fast. Give it to me! Okay, Susie. You win. Sam didn't kill that woman, did he, Mike? He didn't even know her. Met her at the airport, just exactly like he told me. Did you kill her, Mike? No. Mr. Rode? That isn't important. It hasn't got anything to do with you or with Sam. It never did. It was all a separate thing for me and Carlino and Rote. You don't belong to any of it. It's different with Mr. Rote, isn't it? I think it's more than the doll with him. He said he wants to do evil things. You don't have to worry about Rote. So Mike has a bit of a attack of conscience. Is this the crook with the heart of gold? Who's been taking advantage of a blind woman the whole movie? Well, that's why he played the family friends so well. Mm -hmm. Such a good uh, role for him. Uh, yeah, Carly Richard Richard Credit didn't even really age when I saw him in First Blood. No, that was. This is only about fourteen years later, but. Yeah, I mean, still, that's a long time between yeah. roles. And then you know he looks pretty much the same throughout the next two Rambo movies too. Mm -hmm. In fact, in the third Rambo movie, he fucking goes back into action. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he must have been in his fifties or sixties by then. 
And a few years later, he was in Hot Shots Part Two, <laughs> and he's he plays the role of basically basically the same role, but he's a prisoner of war. They have to rescue him because Charlie Sheen plays the Rambo character, and he has to go and bust him out. Which is pretty much the same as Rambo Three. Yeah. <laughs> he looks good in there too. God, just doesn't age. He's acted until he died. All right, well, we're closing in on the conclusion here. No more clips. So I think we, we jumped ahead a little bit with that clip. Um, so while Sam was going to the, or while Mike was going to the studio, Susie realized that the phone line was cut by Rote the last time he was in the apartment. Mm-hmm. And uh, she starts killing all the lights in the apartment except for one she leaves one on and then she's pouring she pours chemicals into a potted plant that uh were from the uh photo development lab in the apartment and then mike uh returned to spill the beans that's the last clip we just heard and so in part of that speech, I can't remember if it was in the uh, the clip or not, but Mike says that he sent Carlino to go kill Rote. And we get a quick cut to somebody getting hit with a car. Well, it yeah. turns, out, <laughs> turns out it was Rote hitting Carlino with a car. <laughs> and again and again and again. <laughs> Which is a pretty sweet scene. I think he just rams him into a chain link fence or something. Yeah. That's a problem because he couldn't like drive over him because he keeps on hitting the fence. <laughs> He's a big dude. Eh? He probably just bounced off, you know, the first time. But <laughs> yeah. But Mike, uh, he's reserved to leave without the doll, except for he can't get out because Rote shows up and stabs him in the back. So it's a whole bunch of double crosses. You know, Carlino and Mike try to double-cross Rote, and Rote double-crosses them. And now this is where we get the horror movie vibes, is the showdown between Rote and The world Susie. champion blind lady. <laughs> so Rote, he changes the door shut, which is the first time it's been locked this entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> And he douses the apartment in gasoline. And Susie tries to get out of there, but she trips on Mike. And then she can't get out because of the the chain as well. But she does happen to throw the chemicals from the potted plant into Rote's face. And uh, takes out the last light in the apartment. And then she throws more gasoline on him because he's about to light a match to light the apartment on fire. But now that he's doused in gasoline, he can't do that mm-hmm. because he'll light himself on fire. So then she starts lighting the matches. <laughs> right. And we think this is her time to escape, but you know, the doors changed shut. She can't get out. And just when you think that, you know, it can't get any worse for her, Rote opens the refrigerator and it's the last remaining light is the refrigerator light. Mm-hmm. And we get a bit of a skirmish. Let's see. Yeah, so he catches Rote, or Rote catches Susie, uh, now that he can see her. Uh, she gives up the doll, but she also stabs Rote with a kitchen knife. And he does a little, uh, 
what like Mike Myers pop up. Yeah. Know. Starts crawling towards her with the knife. Fake death. And this is where Sam's method of defrosting the freezer comes into handy because Mrs. Rote has to find the plug for the refrigerator to shut it off because she can't figure out that Rote has put a, a washcloth in the in the um the hinge of the refrigerator to keep it from closing. And then yep. once she finally gets that, it lights out, and then we cut to cops coming in and you know to the rescue so you don't really find out how rote kind of croaked because yeah. he was kind of on her and he was about to attack and then all of a sudden lights out and then he's just kind of laying there i think maybe he just finally succumbed to his injuries maybe i thought maybe she smashed his head in the refrigerator door but i don't know it's hard to tell i don't think she's that gangster <laughs> She doesn't confirm that she is, in fact, the world's <laughs> champion blind lady. <laughs> People's champion, too, if you ask me. And that's the end of the, the movie. So maybe Sam will be a little nice to her now that she's been through so much trauma. Well, he doesn't want to coddle her. No cheating. <laughs> to walk there and back. <laughs> I want you to drive to the store and pick up milk and bring it back. No cheating. You know how many turns it is. <laughs> Sam shows up at the end. He's like, I was supposed to meet the model at Asbury Park, and then she didn't show up, and then I had to go to the hospital or something. And it's like he's been gone all fucking day. It's like midnight now, you know. And then he shows up <laughs> at the very end. All right. You ready to get in some fun facts? Sure. Hey, everybody, here's some fun facts. So it says in an interview, Alan Arkin talked about the early Oscar nominations he received for his early major film roles. And when I asked if he was surprised that he was overlooked for Wait Until Dark, his second movie, he replied, you don't get nominated for being mean to Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> Audrey Hepburn, in, in turn, actually was nominated for Best Actress for an Oscar. She did not win, though. I thought she did a great job in it. Yeah. This is a, I haven't seen a ton of her movies, but like this seems like a pretty like outside the box role for Audrey Hepburn, like breaking the, um, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like going against typecast. Mm hmm. What of a pampered woman? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Al Pacino won best actor for playing a blind man but he yelled a lot more so and he was an alcoholic he was way too calm <laughs> here's a fun fact well, here's an interesting one during world war ii 16 year old audrey hepburn was a volunteer nurse in a dutch hospital during the battle of arnhem hepburn's hospital received many wounded allied soldiers one of the injured soldiers, young Audrey, helped nurse back to health, was a young British paratrooper and future director named Terence Young, who more than 20 years later directed Hepburn and Wait Until Dark. Hmm. Here's a fun fact. How about this one? After Susie knocks on the apartment door, Sam says, Susie, is that you? She answers, no, it's Batman. 
Ephraim Zimbalas Jr., Sam, went on to play Alfred Pennyworth on Batman, the animated series in the 1990s. Ooh. How about that one? It was, it, was a, it was a call forward by Audrey Hepburn there. <laughs> now, I think some people might say that this next fun fact will, in fact, give this movie horror cred. Because it says in his nonfiction book, Dance Macabre, Stephen King declared this to be the scariest movie of all time and that Ellen Arkin's performance may be the greatest evocation of screen villainy ever it's pretty good so i guess if stephen king thinks so because his movies are all great nothing scarier than a man from scarsdale <laughs> here's another fun fact julie andrews was considered for the role of Susie, and uh, i saw that robert duvall was uh originally played wrote in the uh, stage adaption so that'd be a good one interesting you can see that. Duvall's got those chops. He would have been pretty young back then, huh? Yep. She had all his hair, too. <laughs> That's the important thing. Is Ellen Arkin's looking back and saying, man, I lost a lot of hair. <laughs> As a way to get people to see the movie, the filmmakers made a print ad and cautionary trailer that read, during the last eight minutes of this picture, the theater will be darkened to the legal limit to heighten the terror of the breathtaking climax, which takes place in nearly total darkness on the screen. If there are sections where smoking is permitted, those patrons are respectfully requested not to jar the effect by lighting up during this sequence. And of course, no one will be seated at this time. It worked and the film became a huge success because of it. Nice. So take that smokers. <laughs> Just think if you had to go to the bathroom and then uh, they wouldn't let you back in because it was the last eight minutes of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, During an interview for the DVD of the film, Alan Arkin claimed that he was once attending a viewing of the film when he heard what he called a scream from like a thousand people, which scared the hell out of me. When he asked what it was, the interviewer replied, it's you. Also, Arkin mentioned that this went on at screenings of the film for months, and at the climactic moment of the film, everyone went berserk. <laughs> so Alan Arkin used to be a scary motherfucker in 67. He still kind of is, isn't he? Uh, oh, I mean, I've seen you know so much more of his later work than his younger work, and he was always such like a nice guy, or you know, like he's probably the nicest dude in Glengarry Glen Ross. You know, he's the pleasant, fun old grandpa in Little Miss Sunshine, maybe wisecracking in other movies and things like that. But I guess that's true. I think he was in kind of uh, neurotic, like in uh, Gregor and Ross and some of his other roles, too. Doesn't he do one of the Law and Orders, too? Something like mm, that. I don't know. Uh, the role that eventually went to Alan Arkin was difficult to cast because the producers couldn't find actors willing to be cast in such a villainous role not only terrorizing a blind woman but terrorizing beloved Audrey Hepburn to boot Alan Arkin later went on to say how easy it was for him to get the role because of the reluctance of other actors to take it here's another fun fact yeah Audrey Hepburn doesn't appear until 21 minutes into the film giving top billing though 
Well, it's Audrey Hepburn, but. I mean, she is kind of the main character, you know, once she gets in there. It's all from her perspective at that, you know, once she gets on screen. This kind of reminds me of uh, certain films taking a long time before the like opening credits, like The Departed. Mm-hmm. Like when the music starts and you know it says The Departed, that's like 20, 25 minutes into the movie. Skyfall was kind of one like that, you know, that a lot of the Bonds have those cold opens or an opening scene that maybe ties loosely to the rest of the movie. Right. That one is like 18, 20 minutes before you get the, you know, the song. But at least you see Bond in the beginning of that one. (laughs) 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 They don't, you know, make you wait 20 minutes to see them, but. Well, here we go. IMDb confirms it. It's Audrey Hepburn's first and only horror film, despite it more commonly being categorized as a suspense thriller. She accepted the role out of a desire to play against type. Mm-hmm. Confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down. It's already been written in text. Although she later admitted that she didn't intend to do so, Audrey Hepburn retired from films after this role, turning down all parts off to her in order to devote time to raising her children. She would eventually return to the screen several more times, beginning beginning with Robin and Marion in 1976. So, nine years. Yeah. Not much of a backbone on that lady. Well, I think we kind of met, but backtracking a little bit on, on my section here, uh, it was produced by Audrey Hepburn's then-husband actor Mel Ferrer. It was a uh, last-chance attempt to save their marriage, which ended a year later in 1968. So this is the movie that ended her marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and then she took a nine-year hiatus. But she, I mean, she must have been, I think she was, let me see how old she would have been. So she was born in 1929. So in 67, she would have been about 38, 37, 38. So. She was looking good. Yeah. As always. Keeping the uh, the household together. Even, <laughs> <laughs> even though she couldn't look, she was looking pretty good. But yeah, like I mentioned, like the, the movie Hush that came out a few years ago, I think it's a Netflix movie. I don't know if it came out elsewhere, but it, uh, I think it borrowed heavily from this movie. I think there's other ones with very similar uh, storylines and, uh, you know, that, that I'm sure borrowed um, from, uh, from Wait Until Dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's pretty original. Yeah, IMDb says it was spoofed in Scream. I don't know which part of Scream spoofed it. Hmm. It's been a little bit since I've seen Scream. Yeah, I guess I couldn't tell you. I'm trying to think about it now too, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's probably made up. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe let us know if you're a you know a big fan of Scream and you've seen Wait Until Dark. Let us know which part of Scream spoofed it. Other closing thoughts about Wait Until Dark. Yeah, I watched this for the first time, I don't know, like probably three years ago now. I think I might have reviewed it on the show, but it was on uh, Turner Classic Movies. 
And I thought, oh, that looks pretty interesting. So I recorded it. And I really liked it. Uh, I think I gave it a soonish. I really liked the, the aspect of how they kept the tension going throughout the movie. And then that, like, the, the last scene of her and Alan Arkin in the dark was phenomenal. I thought they did a great job with that. So, and it just kind of builds and builds and builds. And then you get that, that big climactic, climactic scene at the end. So I would definitely recommend it to anybody who likes, you know, suspense movies, thrillers, or horror movies. I think it's, uh, you know, definitely worth a watch. I do as well. Yeah, it was very well acted by everyone. Uh, yeah, the plot keeps moving, tension building. And there's, you know, there's a lot of humor too, I think. I think so too. It's fun just to watch, you know, Alan Arkin kind of chew the scenery. There's a lot of familiar faces in here. Like we said, you know, Alan Arkin's been a lot of things. He's still going. Uh, Audrey Hepburn, you probably know her. Um, even if you haven't seen her, her movies, you know who she is. Richard Crenna, who's in oh, most of the Rambo movies. Uh, and then I think even the guy that played Carlino, I forget what else he's been in, but he looks super familiar too. So yeah, it's great cast. It's, you know, it's, it's definitely based on a play and you can kind of tell that, but they really amp it up and they, they take advantage of the, the setting and uh, the storyline and, you know, the fact that like as a blind person, like you'd be kind of in a, a bad spot there, you know, it's a cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. Don't accept things from strangers at the airport. <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm not sure what I'm going to pick for, I guess next horror movie we do, but I'm sure we'll do death proof eventually. Uh, and one or two others before the horror extravaganza is over and done with. But the, our next episode will be recently seen. We'll, we will record next week as you went to the theater a few times recently. I did. So uh, by then we will, I guess we'll let you know what our next horror movie will be. But um, until then, you can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Uh, check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. You can follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie or bet at positivelywolf1. And please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Later. Man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Chicky later. Chicky later. <laughs> hey, man, you're off my case.